Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern Family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern Family or follow at Pottern Family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern Family or at Pottern Family on Twitter. Part of the Rewatching Good Television Podcast Network, it's the Sorkin Cast. Here's your host, Matthew Murdick. Hey there, and welcome back to the Sorkin Cast. It's episode 63 of the podcast. This week, we are covering West Wing, season three, episode two, Manchester, part one. My name is Matt Murdick, and I am from SorkinCast.wordpress.com. That's where you can find all of the back episodes of the podcast. You can also find contact links and podcast app links. And if you take the time to leave a review of the written kind on the whatever podcast app you use, it helps me very much to stay more noticeable, plus I find out what you like or dislike about the show. And when we have our feedback podcast after the first 12 episodes of West Wing Season 3, I will thank the people and read their reviews, those who have left them in this past few months. Uh, We were on hiatus for quite a bit, so I will try and catch up all of the reviews while we were gone and during the course of these next 12 episodes, well, next 11 episodes now. Speaking of which, that feedback podcast will be coming up uh, towards the end of May. Your deadline to get any feedback in for the first 12 episodes of Season 3 is May 23rd, 2017. You can do so by emailing SorkinCast at gmail.com or you can tweet at SorkinCast or you can call 314-669-1840 and leave a voicemail. Also at SorkinCast.wordpress.com starting on April 4th, 2017, we'll reopen up a new What's Next poll where you get to decide what this podcast covers next. So be sure to go and vote when that starts. You have from April 4th until June 6th, that's when I'll close the poll, in order to decide what we're going to cover after we finish covering all of Season 3 of The West Wing. And then a little further down the line, once we finish Season 3, we'll have another feedback podcast, and you can leave your choices for our West Wing Awards, your favorite and least favorite episode of Season 3, favorite and least favorite scene, your favorite and least favorite main character, favorite and least favorite guest star. You can leave all of those if you wish. And that's enough about the podcast. Let's get straight into talking about this episode. It's Season 3, Episode 2, Manchester Part 1. Technically, it was supposed to be the premiere of West Wing, but of course 9-11 happened, and Aaron Sorkin wrote Isaac and Ishmael, and they filmed that very quickly to preface uh, this season. So uh, here we are. We're getting back into the story, carrying over from Season 2. And this episode was written by Aaron Sorkin. It was directed by Thomas Schlamme, kind of really the two heads of the whole West Wing greatness if so to speak, and it first aired on October 10th of 2001. As I mentioned last week, I no longer have the Geos rankings. The website went down. I did have a backup copy on another computer, but uh, that computer blew up, and so uh, I, and I had not backed it up on something outside of the computer, so my bad. We won't have the episode rankings anymore. But anyway, here is your episode description As the White House staff prepare to officially kick off Bartlett's re-election campaign, they encounter a competing news cycle and, with the help of new campaign members, recall the last four weeks prior back to the night of Bartlett's MS press conference. There's so much story to talk about in this episode that I didn't do a walk and talk yet again. There were walks and talks in this episode, um, but they seem so important to the story that I didn't want to just isolate them up front. So instead, I do once again this week have some quick jabs for you, and that's what we have in terms of uh, funny quotes and kind of humorous jabs at one another as we go along in this uh, episode. So enjoy the quick jabs right now. 
CJ, when do we see in advance? Very soon. The speech is done? It's done. They're just ironing a few things out. So the Sam don't have any problem with Bruno's people? Everybody's getting along great. They're dyeing the I's and crossing the T's. This thing reads like an Andy Williams special. We're starting all over again on a white piece of paper. I'm going to take my seat now. 70 voters in one industrial state isn't representative of a whole country. Plus, people respond differently to voting out a governor versus a president. Governors are expendable. I feel the country's on the right track. They want to keep the president in charge. In charge, if at all possible. And I'll tell you what else. Harlan's always scored. Always scored high in the trustworthy meter. So he is a bit of a shield to protect him from character attacks. Yes, he does. Not to mention that the information presented during the interview informed the public that MS isn't a fatal disease. We need to put another poll in the field right now. Thank you all for coming around to the self-evident point I made five minutes ago. What's Mephiston? A pill that'll abort a pregnancy up to 49 days. Mephiston is RU486? Yes. And the FDA is approving it? Yes. Hallelujah! I think you're thinking that somehow this pill means more sex for you. Where's the president? In the residence. How's the first lady? You know, I think with everything on our plates, we don't need to be marriage counselors right now. No, we should, because you and I would be really good at it. Hunter John, as he was called, was granted the land as a reward for his services to the colony in the French and Indian Wars. Let me tell you something, we don't do that enough anymore. I seek re-election to the presidency not because of its glories, but because of its difficulties. Challenges, right? Challenges better than difficulties. Yes. Later in life, he built the water-powered gristmill with his son, Colonel John Goff, and his grandson, Major John Goff. The Goffs. This challenge is going to make us think one of the difficulties is that he's got MS. It makes us think he's up for a challenge. I agree. So, Jay? Yeah? You want to play some pool? I don't know how to play pool. You want to play for money? Sure. What are you doing? I'm drawing inspiration from the strength of the Goff family. The descendants of Hunter John have been owners and operators of the Goff family mill for more than two centuries now. In 1845, when Theodore Odie Golf was the proprietor, the mill burned to the ground. Well, that totally blows. It's really nothing new, not even on this show, but the way the staff keeps trickling in and saying the same thing, uh, that's a great kind of comedic moment for me. I love the way it builds and builds and builds, and it finally pays off with Leo later on in the episode. But that was funny for me, and... CJ getting the inspiration from the Goffs. I mean, I love, again, the way that it takes a while for that joke to build. And then finally you get this kind of funny yet perfectly metaphoric view on how things are really going uh, as, as the mill burns to the ground, right? Uh, but more on CJ as we get into the clips. And we'll start with clip one. As the crew flies to Manchester to make the re-election campaign official, CJ recalls Bartlett's MS press conference and has to tell Josh that the FDA may fold into the news cycle with the announcement. We see how Abby reacted to Bartlett's decision in the past and the security briefing on Haiti four weeks prior. Then, coming back to the present, Bruno Gianelli tries to convince Leo that the president needs to apologize about not disclosing the MS sooner. And finally, we go back to four weeks prior, where the staff decides how to get the president's approval ratings back. Mr. President, can you tell us right now if you'll be seeking a second term? I'm sorry, Sandy, there was a little bit of noise there. Can you repeat the question? Yes, sir. Can you tell us right now if you'll be seeking a second term? Yeah, and I'm going to win. There are now seven different drafts of the speech. Yeah. The president likes none of them. Toby and Doug can't get together. Sam and Doug can't get together. Leo and Bruno can't get together. Listen, i got to talk to you for a second. If anyone asks, the speech is done. That's just what I've been saying. Listen. Yeah. Here. Paulson got it from a source, the FDA, signing off on RU486. When are they going to announce? On Monday. Come on! Right you didn't speech. take care of this? Josh, Damn it. I told all departments no news on Monday. We get the cycle to ourselves. Then how... The FDA is an independent agency. So we're kicking off our campaign on the same day. Yeah. Perfect. Look, I'm sorry. But yeah, I'm also nothing. not wild about pictures of the president getting on the plane without his wife. 
I can't computer generate images of the first lady. Uh, she's getting in in the morning. We'll do some pictures. I'm gonna call Gail Trent and confirm this other thing. Maybe we want to postpone. Why? I don't know. He's got laryngitis or something. There are ways of getting out of this. Yeah. You buried Dolores Landingham this afternoon. You couldn't possibly be expected to make. Are you going to? You let some time go by. A few weeks. You say you've consulted with your doctors. You've consulted with your family. Abby. Which, amazingly, people would believe. And then you say you've decided. I'm running again, Abby. Mike, is that four AB8s? Yeah, and four AH1s. Good evening. Good evening, Mr. Good evening. President. Mr. President, this is Operation Swift Fury. Yeah. On your command, we deploy a landing ship helicopter assault to evacuate both the Americans and Dessaline from the embassy. So these helicopters land on the roof and then... And then take the Americans and Dessaline to the Enterprise. Code word Paris for this operation. What are the possibilities? There'll be Haitian civilian casualties. Our curfew's been imposed and the signal intelligence flight said there aren't any civilians within a two-block radius. How long do I have? Paris will be in place in two hours, sir. Okay. Thanks. Mr. President. Yeah. Look, Doug isn't here to write poetry. The purpose of his draft is to demonstrate that an apology can work. He's not going to apologize. Why not? Because it's his official campaign announcement and not Oprah Winfrey. Doing Oprah wouldn't kill him. I honestly believe it might. In four weeks. In four weeks, he has made a full disclosure of himself. He has educated the public about MS. He has done this every day. He has done everything except apologize. In four weeks, he has saved Haiti for democracy, funded the Justice Department's tobacco lawsuit, watched the market. He has done everything but apologize. You think he apologizes and his numbers go up? I think you brought me in two weeks ago because they haven't yet. They have. Two points in a month? If he runs for re-election 27 years from now, he's got a fighting chance. We gotta put another poll in the field. What happened? My ride left without me. Mine too, I gotta ride with Larry and Ed. Yes. Didn't you see me jumping up and down, waving my arms in the air? I just thought you were happy. Me too. You're an idiot. Which one of us are you talking to? Listen to me. He did incredibly well on TV tonight. We gotta put another poll in the field. We know. There's a difference between a governor and a president. Yes. 1,170 people in Michigan won't give you a good sample. It's a lot like DuPont Circle. We're there already, Joe. I was stuck at the room. Put the pole in the field. So, like I said before, we're back into our main story, and I'm sure live viewers at the time were thinking... Last year's season finale was just like so, so huge. How can anything this year be anything but a disappointment, really? Well, I I feel like that much in the way Sorkin opened up season two after the season one Rosalind finale, he went back to this kind of flashback format over two episodes. But this time he also threw in a whole bunch of new characters. You've got Bruno, you've got Doug, you've got Connie, and we know nothing about these people and we're kind of going, well, who the heck are these guys? I mean, obviously we know that they're tied to this speech in Manchester, but other than that, it's hard to know anything really about them yet. And I love the slow burn of finding out who these people are in different ways over this and the next couple of episodes. And there's an unbelievable amount of tension in the past with Jed and Abby as well as in the present with Doug and, well, seemingly everybody else. And in the season two premiere, it was all about how the staff got into the campaign in the past. And now we're once again seeming like we're in campaign mode again in the present now. So I love the flip of that. And to me, this isn't really copying or formulaic on Sorkin's part. Uh, I like to think of it as like musical repetitive motives in the writing. And I, I really find that brilliant. And he's able to take these same kind of facets and go back and forth between past and for, uh, present and just kind of flip them. And I, I really like that. Also, uh, CJ seems a lot less sure of herself than usual in the present. And the reasoning for that, of course, kind of unfolds itself over the two episodes, especially by the end of this episode. And it's kind of its own remarkable little story all on its own. Um, but Sorkin weaves it into this like whole hugely extravagant web of, of so much chaos and, and some poignancy. And it just makes it all part of the much larger story. And that, that's incredible. 
uh, the complexity of, the, of this particular episode for me. And the tension, of course, that I spoke of earlier between Abby and the president, I mean, that was just amazing. Great acting. I cut a lot of that down. But if you watch the episode, then you'll know that Abby is really, really pissed. And Bartlett is actually, to me, looks like he's looking for any way he can to avoid actually talking about it with her. He's just kind of made up his mind and he doesn't want to have to go through these hoops that Abby's probably going to make him go through just in terms of reasoning out why he chose to do so. Uh, And that kind of carries through all the way through the end of the episode too. But what I love is that this is the only scene you see of these two together, the whole rest of the episode. Yet that tension continues to build even towards the end of the episode just because of the way it keeps getting mentioned. But it, it, it is with that conversation also that you do understand that Jed is totally serious. He's not going to back down. He's not going to change his mind. And there's a lot of that in this episode, too. And um, I, I just love that. Uh, again, another layer of complexity that just a couple of lines of dialogue throughout this episode uh, continue to build that tension that we see in that scene, which, again, was fabulously done. As for the rest of the flashback stuff... Uh, you know, it's great to see the optimism of the staff coming away from the press conference. It, it's almost kind of like they're saying, oh, wait, this is great. Wait, maybe sh- I should pinch myself. Uh, you know, that kind of expression on everyone's face. Um, and it kind of completely blew away all of those dark clouds hanging over the end of season two. Um, just so Sorkin could put more clouds <laughs> in for the beginning of season three. But the only thing that I really didn't like about that that whole flashback sequence of, of the press conference and all that was actually Bartlett having to say the answer uh, in the press conference itself. I mean, we talked about this at the end of season two. You didn't really need that. Um, all you had to do was listen to Dolores uh, talking about how Bartlett would put his hands in his pocket, you know, and turn away and smile to know that he was had set his mind on doing something. And, of course, Leo saying, watch this. I mean, we all knew that he was going to say that he was going to run again. But uh, that's, you know, I, I guess what you have to do, though, is, is say it has been, you know, a whole summer. You got to put in some little scene to just, uh, you know, put a bullet point on it um, and hopefully, you know, catch new viewers up as well. Make them want to go back and, and watch the prior seasons to understand what that's all about. But in the flashbacks, really the biggest moment for me in this whole sequence was in the Situation Room when all of the military leaders and Nancy McNally applauded Bartlett. I mean, this is a journey that is remarkable. Think about back to season one where President Bartlett had such problems with people in the Situation Room. He was almost afraid of the Situation Room. Then he overreacted in the Situation Room. And, and I don't think that any of those people in that Situation Room really completely trusted him at that point. And this shows the growth of that trust. I, I just, you know, they've gone from zero confidence to really thinking of him as a very admirable and, and honorable man by applauding him like that. That was very moving for me. That was just amazing. And, and of course, in the present, then you have this whole RU486 thing that's threatening to steal the news cycle from this speech um, that the president is about to make. But there is this issue that Bruno Gianelli brings up as well about there being no apology about lying to the people for MS or withholding the information. So my question to you is, as viewers, and maybe we posed this last year a little bit, but now it comes straight to the forefront. Should the president have apologized? Uh, let me know what you think by sending me emails or tweeting me or whatever. I gave you that contact information earlier. And the issue will continue to play heavily as we go along, even more so. Also, I didn't put it in the clip, but there was a really nice moment between Bruno and Margaret where he just calls her redhead girl. And that's a storyline that continues to play on throughout it. And um, Josh did explain why the RU486 thing uh, was hurtful to the announcement to Donna. I didn't put that in the clips, uh, but he basically said, you know, it, it kind of robbed them of the thunder that they wanted to have. The FDA is independent, so they don't have to be told not to announce anything the same way CJ could tell the State Department or the Treasury Department or anything like that. So their, their hands are kind of tied by this. 
Plus, like he he said in that clip, something about, you know, then it becomes about how the campaign didn't realize that the FDA was going to do this. And so they look kind of bumbling and it becomes more of a process story. Plus, just as soon as they come out of the box, the right is going to come at them um, about the abortion issue. So it's kind of a this RU486 thing is really kind of a mess for Josh. And uh, I didn't put that in there, but. Uh, we'll move on to clip two uh, because that does become important later, but we'll move on to clip two. And in this clip, Doug also talks to Toby about an apology. And then we go back in the past to the rescue operation in Haiti. And Josh talks to Joy about funding the tobacco suit as CJ continues to struggle with the press regarding everything going on. Then we come back to the present and Toby has a cryptic conversation with CJ about her own future. And back in the past, Bartlett considers the next actions for Haiti and its political ramifications. A lot of jumping around, but it's fun. Toby, if he doesn't apologize on Monday, we're going to spend the next 15 months being asked why. Then, when he does, it's going to be because he had to. There are moments, and when they're missed... I've done this before. Like Haiti. Don't talk about military strategy in a conversation like this. I'm just saying, if the table had been set right and he'd been able to invade... You want to speak up? I'm not sure the entire White House press corps heard you. Toby. Jack Daniels. Thank you. You guys friends? Yeah. Is he in? He's waiting for you. Hey. Joey's putting a poll on the field first thing in the morning. Good. That first poll was bogus, and I'll tell you why. 1,170 people in Michigan can't Leo, possibly... Leo, we, we've been through this. All right. Well, good. Excuse me. They're ready. Yeah. Then we pick up the 53 Americans and Desolene. And haul us to Paris. Yeah. How you doing? Not bad. How about you? Not bad. Wish I could have been at the funeral. You had your hands full. That's proud of our boy. How's the first lady doing? Let's not do that right now. Yeah. Copy that. Cobra 1, can you make it back to Paris? Yeah, we're going to try. We're in it to Cobra 2. Engaging the squad of HNP troops with uh, several light machine guns. Engaging with 20mm and 2.75 rockets. Raven Cobra 2. Target neutralized. Returning to Paris. Copy that. Right. Well, we're in it now. When did he you told me a week ago. Did the president tell you himself? No, Leo McGarry told me. Why didn't the president tell you? Because Leo McGarry told me. CJ, could you describe your relationship with the president? Just good friends, Katie. How's she doing? Shared his health situation with the people. It's getting away from her. Now. I'm not answering that. They're making her the story. <sighs> yeah, listen, I wanted to ask you about something. The Justice Department needs another $30 million to fund its suit against the tobacco companies, and we want them to have it. The Appropriations Subcommittee on Commerce, State, and Justice handles that money, and they won't bring it to a vote. And now I wanted to turn the heat up and issue a release. Incendiary? Yeah, it calls them well-fed members lining their campaign war chests and being complicit in hundreds of thousands of negligent homicides. Nice. I want to leak it. What do you think? Yeah, they're truly stupid. Why? Because offense makes people play defense. I'm raising the profile to bring public opinion down on them. Play defense with that. Congress appropriates the money. You're not going to get it by pissing off the appropriators. Oh, watch me. Thanks for asking for my opinion. No sweat. Leo, talk to me, you know. Hmm? I said, Leo, talk to me. Yeah? Yeah. About what? Leo, talk to me. I, I know what you're thinking about doing. Peter, states exploring the effectiveness of immediate sanctions? Yeah, we're exploring it, but we've been down that road with Haiti before. With terrible results that hurt the wrong people. All right, let's start here. Nancy, Peter, get a message to the Canadian Prime Minister. We intend to restore Desalin. The Canadians should tell Bazan if he doesn't move out. We're willing to move forward with military options. In the meantime, I'm willing to consider the flyby. If the flyby doesn't work? Now you're just bugging me. That's all. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Sir? Yeah. 
Uh, we should bear in mind that if we end up invading Haiti, there'll be a belief that it was politically motivated. Yeah, that at the at the very least we welcomed an opportunity both to distract attention from the MS story and to show strength as commander in chief. You think it's a sign of strength to invade Haiti? I meant Missouri could invade Haiti. Yes. Sanctions aren't going to work. You said it yourself. The Haitian National Police will get rich off the contraband. Dessalin was democratically elected. Instead of sitting in his office, he's sitting on the USS Enterprise. To say nothing of the fact that they shot at us, and you don't get to do that. So I'm late. Now, we really still don't know anything about this Doug character, but I, I do feel like that he makes some logical points about an apology to Toby. I mean, if for no other reason than the political strategic value of it, uh, right to do it now rather than have to do it later. But it seems like everybody seems to think, uh, and especially Toby and Leo, that Bartlett's not going to apologize. And I love that because, you know, when you think back to the 17 people episode last season, think about how the amazing tension was where Toby kind of wanted an apology from the president. And finally, one sort of came, but you couldn't really tell how legitimate it was i guess it was legitimate but it just it just like it took them coming to the boiling point almost to the point with toby getting thrown out of the white house before that apology came so toby and leo especially since they were both in the room they're the they're the ones that know where bartlett stands on this and we now know that bruno and connie and and doug Seems to have only been with the team about two weeks, thanks to uh, Bruno and Leo's conversation earlier in the episode. And so Doug is still just trying to find his footing with everyone, I think. And him and Toby's sideline story does continue to develop over these next two, this episode and, and the next episode as well. So we'll explore that more as it comes out. And even though she doesn't really appear on screen, as I mentioned before, the First Lady keeps coming up. Toby and Leo talk about it. Toby and Josh talk about it. And you've heard Nancy McNally in this clip talking about it. I love, again, how that issue can still be in the forefront without actually having to see it. That's just a great way to build tension just with a couple of words of dialogue. Um, I think that was fantastic. As for the Haydai situation, uh, especially during the operation, that had some really tense moments in it. And Leo's frustration and his impatience is what I would expect any person to be like in, in moments like that, as tense as that. Um, but all of the other actors around that are playing the military personnel and everything, they were able to show the tension on their faces, but also their professionalism in the moment of it all during everything happening. And I thought that that was fantastic. Uh, especially the fact that they showed that guy on the screen, the way he was just kind of would occasionally look down and look back up. I mean, all of those subtleties help build the real tension and makes you think that you're in that real situation. Now, as for the political ramifications of what has happened in Haiti, I, I mean, as Toby and Josh bring it up to the president, how many times have we had situations in our country where people say that a military action is done simply to distract from some kind of scandal or from some other kind of issue? Uh, I know that people have claimed that a few times in my lifetime, and I'm not sure whether really I believe that all of the time, but I do love how that issue is brought up because that is typically the way people respond, right? Or some people respond, I guess I should say, not everybody. And of course, all of this is tying in towards the end of the episode and we the conversation between Toby and CJ really sets some tension. What is CJ about to do, right? You know, and I think you can figure it out. Uh, even if you're just a first-time watcher, you can figure out what she's going to do, but I'll wait until that moment comes up before I say anything. And I, I love that scene between Toby and CJ simply because you know, there were moments where Toby, and it wasn't always in the clip, but there were moments where Toby would say something and CJ would just look at him, you know, like telling him, don't go there, don't go there. And it, it really demonstrates how well they read each other. It demonstrates the friendship that the two of them have had and that we've seen demonstrated time and time again. Uh, but like I said, let's wait to talk about what the actual issue is uh, until the story builds to that point. And I also like this whole mention of the tobacco lawsuit. 
I like the fact that it didn't get dropped from last season. And the really great thing here is that in the first conversation between Bruno and Leo on the plane earlier, you were actually told what all of the issues were going to be that we were going to explore in the flashbacks because Bruno kind of laid it out. Big Tobacco was one of them that he mentioned. And Josh actually does work best when he's punishing people, right? I mean, he's he likes he's the guy that gets to slap legislators around. So naturally, you could see that that argument between him and Joey Lucas would happen. I mean, Joe is so much more of a practical person and, and seeing it. But again, there's this motive throughout the entire episode of people just doing what they're going to do regardless of the circumstances. And you see that Josh has put his mind to something uh, for good or ill. He's going to do it. And there's more of that in the next clip. So let's get to that. Where in this clip, Charlie recalls a conversation with White House counsel Oliver Babish. And then we go to the present where he is confronted by Toby about the president's marriage. Still in the present, Bruno comments on the speech. And then Josh has to brief Leo on the FDA RU486 possibility and the possibility of them having to postpone the re-election speech. We then finally go back to the past where Joey gives the results of the poll she was instructed to take. And Sam talks to Josh about the fact that no apology was given. And Josh then pitches his tobacco thing to Sam. Today, the president is going to direct the attorney general to appoint a special prosecutor. Yes, sir. You know what that means, right? Yeah. Okay, so you're going to need a lawyer. Actually, Mr. Babish, I don't think I need one. You do? I think I'll be fine. Really? Yeah. He's going to ask you about everything you have seen and heard since you started working at the White House. I can answer those questions truthfully. Then he's going to call you back a month later and ask you the exact same questions. If your answers change even a little, they can prosecute you for perjury. Mr. Babish, Oliver's fine. Are you prepared to describe every conversation you ever had with the president? Whether he asked you for an aspirin, whether his hands quivered? Are you prepared to answer questions about your relationship with his youngest daughter? This is NFL football. When is this all going to happen? I don't know. How can you not know? Because grand jury investigations are secret. So they can just knock on my door one morning? They will knock on your door one morning. How much? You know, how much do you think? Assuming you did nothing wrong, saw nothing wrong, and heard nothing wrong. About $100,000. Charlie? Yeah. The president and the first lady. Toby. Sorry. Man. No. I can't do the job if he thinks he's going to send me out of the room every time. No, you're right. You know what? Look, it's a typical marriage. I've been there. Well, I haven't, but he's the president of the United States. So my guess is no, it's probably not a typical marriage. I'll see you later. Bruno. I know, I know. Let us shine a light on dark places in America, places where all hope has been banished, places where our founders' dreams are yet to be redeemed. And then let us kill ourselves and move to Pakistan. Why are people here? Leo? Came to the bar to have some privacy. Leo, I'm reading things that would make the cast of Up With People sit down on the floor and cry. We'll work tomorrow. What are you two doing here? We were... Tomorrow. I need to talk to you. You've confirmed it? As well as I can. I've been at it most of the night. I'd like to go through back channels, see if I can hold them off. No. Then I think we have to consider postponing the speech. I'm going out to see the president first thing in the morning. Let me talk to him. All right. Yeah, these are just preliminary after the first 16 hours. How much faith and confidence do you have in President Bartlett? Great deal, 21%. Somewhat, 24%. Only a little, 15%. Not at all, 38%. We've got 45% in the top two boxes. That's better than we thought. Do you feel he's physically able to perform his duties as president? Probably not, and definitely not at 39%. That number will go down as we educate the public to MS. Yeah, with 25% saying they don't know. What's the bottom line? For an incumbent to have any chance at all at this point in the calendar, he needs 40%. And if the election were held today? 41. 41% would re-elect him. 37 would elect a new person. 22% don't know. He's in the ballgame. All right, I'm going to set up some meetings for tomorrow. We'll have the final numbers for this set, and we'll figure out where to go from here. Thanks, everybody. Josh. Yeah. Listen, I was talking to Toby earlier. Hey, Ginger. Hey. Hey. And I was saying that, actually, he hasn't apologized. What do you mean? I looked over the transcript, and he hasn't apologized. Yeah, well, 
don't know what to say. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Yeah. The release I wrote about the tobacco appropriation. Yeah. What would you think about my leaking it to the subcommittee? I wouldn't do it. I'm doing it. Okay. So you don't think we're going to get hung with the apology? Yeah. So first of all, I mean, Charlie is a pool shark, man. I mean, he's really good. Um, I don't think he's going to make up that $100,000, you know, 20 bucks at a time. But the whole situation that Oliver Babish places him in, I mean, let's think about this. Charlie is faced with a very tough role. He is the one guy who has probably the most information about the Bartlett's privately. And he's probably the guy who can least afford a lawyer, right? So... It was great to see Babish again, but the scenario that he presents to Charlie is just kind of an absolute nightmare. And I really just felt so bad for Charlie uh, when Oliver was telling him that stuff. And then on top of that, he has to shrug off Toby in the present, too. And again, this husband-wife issue, it just continues to build tension without being on screen directly. And I, I love that Charlie is upset by Toby even asking, because really, Toby should know better. But if you look at it from Toby's perspective, he does have a job to do as well, and he's kind of caught in an impossible situation as far as this goes himself. And that even manifests itself in the festering issues from season two coming back into play. I mean, remember during the State of the Union when Abby realized that Toby was setting the president up for re-election? And the discussion that they had and the tension that has been between the two of them. So Toby, he, he's the one person who probably needs to know most what's going on. But he's also the guy who is getting shut out at this point. And I, I love that dynamic. But there is a place where Toby and Leo probably are more inside than most. And that's on the matter of the apology. You have that conversation in the past with Sam and Josh talking about the apology. I mean, it shows that that 17 people episode conversation uh, was really what has made Toby and Leo adamantly say throughout this entire episode that the president isn't going to apologize. They seem to have this insider knowledge that nobody else seems to have. And, And you just know that Joey and Sam telling Josh not to do this release on tobacco again just charging ahead he's if he does do it it's going to be big trouble if, if sam is advising you not to and joey's advising you not to then by golly josh don't do it but you're going to right and then you have this conversation with leo about the ru486 and the back channels and you see that it seems like leo is the only other person okay maybe other than the president who if he just totally puts a clamp on it to josh then Josh will listen to that. But he's just too headstrong about this tobacco issue. And that comes into play um, in the next clip as well. As for the rest of Leo's interactions with like uh, Doug, Bruno, and everyone else, um, the speech that these guys keep complaining about, Doug and Bruno especially, obviously this is Sam and Toby's speech. I love how Toby had his speech totally in his head uh, when he was talking to Charlie. But the speech does have some dark points and you get kind of the distinct impression that Doug and Bruno, they really want this speech to be more about accomplishment than challenge and uh, that the speech is too doom and gloom. And I cut it out of the clip, but there's a point where Bruno says something like it's midnight in America, you know, after he reads a quote from from the speech and uh, I, I already really love Bruno's dry sense of humor. Uh, just off this first bat, uh, even on a first watch, I was just like, oh, yeah, there, here's the here's the guy that's got this really dry sense of humor. Love it. And yet he, he's he's mad about it in a way, too. He doesn't like where this is going. The funny thing is, is that we're getting a little more about Bruno and Doug as we go along. But at this point on a first watch, I, I was really still working on how Connie fits in at all. And we're going to have to keep watching to see how that goes. And I guess that's it for that clip, so let's move on to the fourth clip, and this is a big one. Back in the past, the staff watches in horror as CJ misspeaks in a press conference. The 
The president's expressed his gratitude and concern to the Marines and their families. Did they express any concern for the president's health? No, the president's health isn't a matter of concern. The conversation was focused on the Marines and their contribution to our national security. CJ, CJ, there are reports of Coast Guard cutters intercepting Haitians off the Florida Keys. Yeah, they're being considered economic refugees and diverted to Guantanamo Bay. CJ, CJ, Carl. Does this mean that the president can't afford to spend his own political capital right now by accepting mass numbers of refugees? That's not a factor. Do you think that the president's political problems make it more or less likely that he will order an invasion? Again, that's not a factor. I'm sorry, Joe. CJ, would you say that the president's situation makes it harder for him to focus on the situation in Haiti? To be honest with you, Carl, I think the president's relieved to be focusing on something that matters. Obviously, what I meant to say was... Excuse me, did you just say he was relieved? Obviously, what I mean... Toby, I don't believe it. You saw it. I was standing right there. He's relieved he might have to send troops into battle. He's relieved he might have to put American lives at risk and kill Haitian civilians because it takes his mind off having lied to the electorate. Just, just don't say anything for a, just don't say anything for Damn it! Tobacco. What about it? Josh wants to send the release. At the press release? Yes, it's incendiary. Josh is feeling burned, and he's letting his emotions and, dare I say, ego drive what I think is a very delicate situation. Oh, holy hell. Relieved? The president's relieved to be focusing on Haiti? I was there. Isn't this exactly what we said we had to be careful of? What happened? She was asked if the president's situation makes it harder for him to focus on Haiti. There was a ramp up. There was a ramp up, but she was asked. What did she say? She said the president's relieved to be focusing on something that matters. Relieved? We can argue that uh, she just misspoke. She meant to say that the president realizes he's focusing on something that matters. Or well, the president's reiterating that his focus is on like something. I like something that matters, like finding out the president lied doesn't matter. She misspoke is all we need. If we go back, we say that she misspoke. What if he has to invade? If he invades Haiti after what? It's going to look like he ordered a military operation to cover back. up that. She was tired. She said. CJ doesn't misspeak. She just did. If she misspoke, then why didn't she clean it up in the briefing room? I mean, come to think of it, why didn't she clean it up in the briefing she room? She actually is tired, Leo. We all are. Well, why don't we go with that, Sam? Let's go out and say we're all tired. The president's tired. Complications due to MS. We haven't had much time. You had a week. How much time do you need? Some of us have had more time than others. Really, the clip in itself doesn't require a whole lot of examination, but poor, poor CJ. I mean, she's had missteps before in the press briefing room or with other members of the press, but this one is really huge. And, you know, just her frustration and seeing it all come down on her, I really thought Allison Janney did a great job both in the press room briefing and her reaction afterwards. Uh, it just made me feel so bad for her and the reactions of everybody else. I mean, Toby and Sam and Josh and Leo, I mean, their disbelief and it's kind of turning into anger and then finally turning into a little bit of logic, at least on Sam's part. I mean, this was a really hard hitting scene just from, uh, you know, uh, what the heck kind of plot twist and everyone did a great job. And the one other thing that is in there that points to my earlier comment about Josh would listen to Leo is that if he'd have heard Joey out, he probably would have squashed Josh down on the tobacco release. But, uh, that's a story that continues to play out on a, throughout the next episode. But just as Joey was, uh, okay, maybe she was tattletelling a little bit, but I think she was doing it for the right reasons. If Leo would have gotten a chance, if that thing with CJ hadn't happened, Leo probably would have heard her out and probably would have agreed with Joey. And then coming back to this whole 
bit where Josh and, and Leo and Sam and, and, and Toby have to talk out about what CJ did, I mean, everyone in the world is going to think that Bartlett is using Haiti to deflect the MS story now. I mean, it's kind of like a nightmare scenario for the White House, at least politically, <laughs> just as if the MS wasn't enough, right? I mean, this is Sorkin once again layering problem upon top of problem on top of problem. Uh, and then he's got all of these other caveats mixed in. I mean, that makes this episode really compelling and, and it makes you want to watch and it makes you appreciate it because it's really complex. I just love all of this. And I guess that's really all I have to say for that clip. So let's move on to our final clip where Leo visits the Manchester residence to take the president's temperature on possibly postponing the speech. You live in the middle of nowhere, you know that? Awasiwi Odnak. It's an Abenaki phrase that means beyond, beyond the, the village. Beyond the village, yeah. Good morning, Mr. President. You want coffee? No. What's happening? CJ's got it from a non-governmental source. The FDA is going to announce their approval of RU486. When? Monday. Yeah, all right. Why don't we consider postponing the speech? Why? You've got laryngitis. Yeah, no, I mean, why? It'll get wrapped up in the It'll news. get wrapped up in one news cycle. It I don't will. give it. Plus, it gives me to the right, lets the press write a process story. Right out of the gate, the Bartlett campaign is pandering and bumbling and performing abortions in the Rose Garden. Screw it. And screw anybody who writes that story. Plus, I have a hunch the first round of subpoenas will be handed down this week. You have a hunch? Look, of course, I... the first round of subpoenas will be handed down this week. If we announce in two weeks, that's when the first round of subpoenas will be handed down. Screw it. It's game time. Let's go. This is a nice piece of land. It'd be better without the floodlights and the metal detectors, but... Yeah. Robin and the girls are getting in this morning? Yeah. How's everybody doing? Fine. What about CJ? All right. Laryngitis? I don't know. We could just say I have MS. Leo? Yes, sir. I'm running for re-election, and I'm going to win. So when Leo talks about the meat to the right and the process story, uh, it's all basically the same stuff that Josh had told Donna about in the scene that I cut out of the clips. But it does seem to make sense to postpone. This is the one thing where Josh and Leo might agree on in terms of uh, the issues of, of this particular episode. But just like Josh, Bartlett can't wait any longer. I mean, he needs to officially announce and we get the tidbit about the subpoenas and how they haven't been issued yet. So we know that that's still looming ahead. And the reasoning that Bartlett gives as to why the subpoenas haven't come out seem a little paranoid to me. And this, the reason I say that is because CJ had said in an earlier press conference that it was going to be an independent investigator, right? So why would an independent investigator just move just as soon as he announced his reelection campaign? It doesn't make much sense to me. I mean, if it was just the right doing this, then yeah. But uh, if it's supposed to be a truly independent prosecutor, then I can't really see why he would wait until Bartlett makes that kind of uh, announcement before releasing the subpoenas. 
And then again, you have that husband-wife tension. It's still very much unresolved by the episode's end. Uh, they haven't even come to the house yet. And uh, that, you know, we'll have to see how that spills over in the next episode. And it really seems to me like Bartlett is just pushing on despite any kind of advice that he's getting from Leo. And again, not unlike Josh in many ways regarding the tobacco thing. Uh, is it because he feels like it's the right thing to do? Is it because he's so headstrong against Abby's position that he just can't wait any longer? I mean, we're going to have to find more of this out as we go along. And the tension on the faces of Leo and and Bartlett regarding CJ, I mean, you just know that that's going to be coming to a head in the next episode. And like I said before, I'm sure most of you watchers, even if you're a first-time watcher, figured out what the heck she was going to do by the end of the episode. But I'm going to, again, leave that alone until next time around. And I guess that's all I really have to say about this episode, so let's get to my rating. Rating a two-parter is really hard to just rate independently. Um, I'm going to go 8.9, but next week I'll give uh, an independent rating for the part two, and then I'll kind of give a rating for the, I guess, the the story as a whole, the two-parter as a whole. I think that's the best way to do it, but... Overall, this episode is just like beautifully crafted. It's extremely complex. It has layered nuances that are going to continue to pay off in this two-parter without trying to uh, specifically say what they are or whatever. Um, There's a lot of stuff, a lot of questions and things that you you can still wait to get payoffs for next week if you're a first watcher. And uh, if you're a rewatcher, then you can really appreciate how complex this story is on its own, especially when you look at them apart and see how they work independently of each other and together. Really love that. And that means next week, season three, episode three, Manchester part two. And if you want to contact the podcast, you're about to get the podcast information in our ending bumper. But use that use that information to contact me, especially before May 23rd of 2017 if you have any feedback regarding the first episodes of season three the first 12 episodes be sure to get it into me by tuesday may 23rd also don't forget that our poll for what we cover next will open on april 4th 2017 and will remain open until june 6th 2017 and it's never too early to start thinking about your West Wing Awards for Season 3, your favorite and least favorite episode, favorite and least favorite scene, main character, guest star. I look forward to getting all of your submissions on those. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Find all of the back episodes, links, and more information at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Leave the podcast a written review at our iTunes or Stitcher store pages. To submit feedback, send emails to sorkincast at gmail.com or call 314-669-1840. The Sorkin Cast is a member of the Rewatching Good TV Network.